Good evening, and welcome to our new offshoot of Are You Entertained, where Kent and I bring you into a dark, dreary world of horror movies and apathy as we discuss our predilections for the above. And please be welcome to Kenter at your own risk. <laughs> this will be the first episode of this version of Kent's podcast. Tonight we have Kent. Say hello, Kent. Hey, Kent. <laughs> and and myself, Chris, bringing you our t- continuation of our top ten lists, along with a chosen movie or two for the course of the month. This is a month and a half version, uh, bringing to you January fifteenth, twenty nineteen, where we discuss the top ten apocalyptic slash post apocalyptic films on our lists, and we go over the movie Gremlins. Is it really a horror movie, or is it more of a Christmas comedy? So. Getting right in, Kent, we only had one person join us in the top ten, or in this case, top five, post-apocalyptic slash apocalyptic movies. We can just say APOC, I guess. Um, and that was Dom. So do you want to go over his list? Uh, yeah, and you know, I'll say right off the bat that I, I intentionally tried to avoid almost both, all of your guys' picks, even though... I, honestly, a lot of my picks were kind of mixed in with your guys. I just felt like it'd be better for talking purposes to uh, veer other directions. So, yeah, let's do Dom's. I, I I loved his list. I mean, one of the things that I, I said in, in my list and I tried to stick with was I wanted to skip movies that we had already talked about in our last two lists were zombies and vampires. So my list would have been completely different if I had thrown those in. But I figured there were enough other good movies out there that I could throw them together and create an interesting list. Because I knew not every one of these was going to be a horror movie, per se. Yeah. Also, let's skip his number three, because that's my number one. Okay, yeah, we can do that. No problem. All right. Yeah, let's let's do it. So coming in at number five for Dom, we have nine. Interesting choice. Uh... I actually watched Nine shortly after I woke up uh, last night. I'm on a weird sleep schedule. Uh, I hadn't. I've only ever seen the movie once. I loved it. I fell in love with it. I bought it on Blu-rays. I I'd kind of forgotten what it was all about, and to have the refresher, uh, it, it was one of the gloomiest animated films. I don't know. There's not many gloomy animated films out there still, isn't this it? Is, this is the kind of movie that, like, if I had the choice, I would watch with my son. <laughs> Fair enough. I would also watch Iron Giant, another animated classic that never gets talked about. But, like, this had great voice actors, and I, I know you're a gamer. Did, did your play, I think it was called Machinarium? Uh, I actually have it. I haven't played it yet, but yeah, I could see the the comparisons. This actually ties into like my number four. I'll get there when we get there. But um, I was I was thinking of nine when I made my list, and I was just like, uh, I like my four better. So fair enough. Uh, it, it was definitely you know another thing I liked. I don't know how successful it was, but you know they never forced a, a sequel or anything, which. Uh, you know, most most movie fans are happy when there's not a sequel. I, I think. Uh, it, it didn't do well, if I remember correctly. 
which is probably one of the reasons why they didn't do a sequel. I mean, the only negative thing I would say would be that they got, like, like you said, some really great voice actors, and then there were only a couple of characters that actually really they did anything with. Some of them were like, you know, here's fucking... Christopher Plummer playing a dude. Not him, he was one of the big ones that's used. But Christopher Plummer's character could have been a little bit, you know, more done. But yeah, here's here's a character who only gets like four lines in the entire movie, but we're going to get a big name actor to try to sell it from the animated Sackboy perspective. Yeah. Uh, the character development was not the strong point. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Because I, I was reading a few reviews on it, and I was like, eh, I don't... I, I don't know. It was tough for me to determine if it was intentional or if, you know, just possibly bad story because it came, it originate, originated from a short film, uh, which is also on the Blu-ray and probably the DVD. So Interesting. Yeah. All right. So moving on to Dom's number four, we have The Book of Eli, which is your number five. I love how there's so much crossover in these lists. I really like that movie. Um, I, I wish they had done more to make to show like the apocalypse, you know, or like the after effects of it. It just looked like shit was run down, but I don't remember if they ever said why or what caused it. I don't. Uh, once again, this is another movie. Shame on me that I loved and I only saw once, and. I do not own it, so I didn't get to watch it uh, again. I just had other things going on. I, but, I love the idea of using the Bible as like a tool to manipulate the masses. It was it was really a, a smart film. It had I mean Denzel. That was I, I thought his performance was spot on. I don't know. I'm I'm a huge Denzel fan, so I love Denzel a lot. The only question I had, because I couldn't tell from one scene to the next, was whether he was supposed to be blind or whether he could see, because like some of them his eyes were tracking, some of them his eyes were staring straight ahead. Ah, fair point. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I really don't know if uh, he was supposed to be. Uh, I mean, I I, mer- I remember Mila Kunis was in it though, and I'm looking at the list right now. Oldman was in it, and Ray Stevenson. That's that's a pretty good cast. Tom Waits was even in it. Oh yeah, it was it was a good it was a good movie. I I think it was well received. I don't think it did as well as it should have done, but I don't think anybody goes comes out of it and says, oh, you know, Book of Eli was one of Denzel's shittiest movies. Yeah. I, I think the most common crit- critique I got from it was people that just have to bash the Bible, even though it like their bashing of it has no real relevance to the film itself. You you know what I mean? People that are just anti-religion just for the sake of being anti-religion. That's really been a critique I, I heard for that movie, which is I would agree with you. Like yes, there is a there's a subset of people out there who will bash anything even if the message of the movie is agreeing with them just because that movie has that in there so yeah uh, which whatever I, I don't know I, I i i thought it was a great movie and i forgot that i had also used god damn it, i used i be, believe me i looked through both your guys list i was like i like so many movies but whatever yeah i had that number five he had it four uh we're skipping his number three so so moving on to his number two, which is kind of a cop out, any Resident Evil film. I would disagree with that. I would say any of like maybe the first 
three or four Resident Evil films? You know, there's a couple... Uh, not the last one, certainly. I don't even think the last two, but... Th- I-, I get it because there is a, a unique vibe to some of the later ones, even though they're not necessarily good. Uh, th- no, there, were, there were some cool action scenes in some of the later ones. Yeah. Like, like I didn't think the one... I think the one where they, um, they introduced Chris... You know, with, with Wentworth Miller playing him, and they actually had um, what's her name, Ellie Larder come back as Claire, and they almost scene for scene did the the fight with Wesker on the oil tanker from the Chris and Sheva fight from Resident Evil Five. That looked, or, or excuse me, Chris and Jill fight from the flashback with Wesker in Resident Evil Five. That was fucking badass. Uh, uh, some I of the scenes, that. some of the scenes from the the sixth movie, the one that took place in the base in the Arctic, were pretty cool. But again. You know, by the time they got that far in the series, storyline got thrown out, characterization got thrown out, and it basically became, you know, shitty movies with badass stunt sequences. Yeah, I I would agree, and I'd go so far as to say that the the latter half of the franchise, at the very least, it was like the story stopped caring so much, but they kind of tried doing a little bit of fan service with, with, you know, a few things here and there, like having the executioner, for instance. Uh, I I mean, still the the first two, possibly three are are good movies. I I think. I definitely, I mean, I mean the, the first one, especially showcased, you know, they, they tried to write a decent script for basing something off of a uh, video game and they realized hey if we just try to throw exactly what's in the video game in here it's not going to work but if we maybe set up where the video game comes from and it, it was cool to see like all right this is why that scene in the video game looks this way because this is what they did to the fucking mansion this is what they did to the underground lab complex before you know chris or jill gets there yeah i i don't know i mean Historically, movies haven't done a great job of encapsulating a video game, but I thought I don't know if I can think of any any video game that was turned into a movie that did better than Resident Evil, at least the initial one. I mean, uh, I mean, I have a soft spot for like the first Mortal Kombat movie, but again, it hasn't aged well. At least the the, the effects in Resident Evil work. And uh, it wasn't a bad zombie movie either. It was probably just missing out of my honorable mentions. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I liked it. I, I, if I was him, I would probably just put Resident Evil 1 and 2 or just 1. But, eh, whatever. It works. He, he was a fan. I have all of them except for the last one. I was an idiot and thought that they'd finished the franchise, so I bought the franchise set, and then they released the last one. I was like, Ne- ne- never buy a franchise box set until you're sure that the franchise is done with, basically, is what I've learned. Oh, definitely. The, the one nice thing, and even though I know it's not done, like the Fast and the Furious box set I bought had a space for the the new, the new last movie that came out, 8, for it, because it came out, I bought it after 7 came out. And they said, hey, we know we're, we're making another one because it's in production right now, so here's the space for your DVD when you actually buy the movie. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. pretty nice. They just had it on sale for like twenty 
box, I think, at Amazon right around Christmas or whatever. Because I, I'd considered buying it for for the digital, but I did, had no use for the discs, and I couldn't find anybody that wanted the <laughs> those movies for ten bucks. I was like, okay, well that sucks. But I, eh. My new quest, and I'm sure it's already out there. I just haven't been looking. Is to find the uh, the new Mission Impossible set. You know, get all six of them on Blu-ray since I don't have any of them on Blu-ray. I I have the first five on digital. They gave them away for free during some promotion, and I snatched them all up. And I haven't watched any except for the first one. Maybe maybe one other one. I don't remember. But yeah, I. Yo, it was a it, that was a franchise I I enjoyed what little I did see of it. it just I never uh, took the time to watch the whole thing. Does does it tell like a a grand story or is it really just each the cool is- thing? The cool thing is number eight. Like it it switches places because you know the first ones were about Paul Walker being an FBI agent going after Vin Diesel and the muscle cars and the racing and everything, and after about. Number four, it turns into almost less of criminals and fast cars and more of like these guys are almost like an American version of like a James Bond movie and they just use cars in all of their planning kind of shit. Yeah. I I liked part four. Part four actually was probably my favorite of what I'd seen. I tried watching five because, you know, I, I do like The Rock and... uh Eric had a huge fucking hard on for it, and I just couldn't. I don't know, and I never got back. And, never went back. In my opinion, the series re- really like one wasn't bad. Two was, eh. you know, they're like, well, we'll see what we can do without Vin Diesel. Three is okay if you take away the fact that basically Han is the only character from the rest of the series that's in it for most of the movie. Four was pretty decent. You know, that was the first one where they got everybody back together they said hey we're going to try to really make this a franchise five was kind of like the transition point and i think in a way that made it almost like the weakest one because you know that was like the one where they were like phasing out all the characters from the beginning that they weren't going to use for the rest of the series and bringing in all the new characters and combining the characters from like this is from brian's story this is from dom's story this is from tokyo drift we're going to get everybody in there together but like six seven eight some of the best movies action movies in the last 10 years, I would say. Hands down. Well, alright. I uh, I may force myself to watch, do a, do a marathon. I I'd it. almost say it's it's easier probably to like skip the first five movies and just watch <laughs> the last three. Especially, right. especially seven. I, I really liked what they did as a farewell for Paul Walker. Ah. Uh, so. Alright. Alright, let's move on with... Uh, Dom's as, number one. As I said, uh, non sequiturs all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> but to go into Dom's number one, Escape from New York. Fucking love this movie. Yeah. Uh, God, it came out in the eighties, right? If it was in the eighties, it was the late seventies. But it was in it was in the John Carpenter heyday, especially when he was working with Kurt Russell. You know, Kurt Russell. I mean, he's had a mini re- renaissance, but. You know, he was kind of quiet for a while, and I, I do feel he's had a mini renaissance over the past maybe decade or so. But God damn it, I I, I love Kurt Russell, and I was uh, just looking up. 
this morning when I was when I was doing this, I was looking up the cast because obviously my memory is shit. What a fantastic cast! This this just had a lot of great things going on. But I mean, Isaac Hayes is the Duke, probably my favorite. Oh yeah, Ernest Borgnine, um, Donald Barbara. Pleasance. Yeah, Donald Pleasance. Uh, Harry the Duke now. <laughs> Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, Adrian Barbeau yeah. back at, well, I don't know if it was Barbeau's peak, but I mean, she was still peak. She's still hot, yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the only reason this didn't make my list is because unless you get the extended version or you read it into the commentary or watch anything, um, it, it doesn't tell you that it's set after an apocalypse. But the original script, and I think this is mentioned in somewhere in, in like the commentary and the extended version or whatever, tells you that this is set in post-apocalyptic world, and the whole reason that they came up with this idea to isolate the crime was because of how fucked up the U.S. was after the nuclear war that happened. And that was the thing. I didn't know that it was a post-apocalyptic until I saw his response to that, and I was like, oh, okay. And once again, I did a little reading, and I was like, okay. I, I It didn't cross my mind. Uh, some of the films that I saw on list like other people made online. I didn't really consider post-apocalyptic or whatever, but it made sense once I thought about most of them at the very least. Well, I mean, some of them, some of them, you're like, what the hell are you smoking? Some are vast stretches of the imagination, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Carpenter is one of those... I, I don't know how long peak Carpenter really was, Probably close to a decade, though, wouldn't you say? I'd say maybe almost a decade and a half. Because, um, when did the original Assault on Precinct 13 come out? Ooh. That's, uh. God damn it. Well, I have it up here. Uh, Assault was 76. And In the Mouth of Madness came out, what, 1990? Oh, I want to say a little later than that, even, but. Uh, shit. Nin- 94. So, uh. Um, 94, yeah. And I liked Village of the Damned if I'm. And Vampires, so. Yeah. Uh, but I would definitely say that Ghost of Mars marked basically the end of his career. Yeah. I, well, shit. If you look at everything after that, like. Uh, his is, uh. Cigarette Burns was actually really good. I don't know if you ever got into the Masters of Horror, but Cigarette Burns was really good. No, I never saw that one. I, I saw one of the times I was going back and rereading your past blog entries. I saw that one on your shit, but uh, I've never had the opportunity to see it. Yeah. But, God, yeah, he's he's had a... I still haven't seen Prince of, of Darkness. I, I, I will. I will someday. I'm pretty sure I bought it in October. I just haven't watched it. But all in all, I, I liked his list. Um, I don't know. He had a couple of uh, honorable mentions, which I thought his first one was pretty interesting. I didn't consider I I will say this. I have heard so many great things about Wally. I've never seen it. Yeah. But I, I know people <laughs> who like fucking cry and start misting in their eyes as soon as you mention the movie. So I assume it's got to be fucking amazing. I have never seen it either. I do own it. Uh, that's that's the best I can offer. I mean, 
Some of those animated movies hit you hard. I, I, I mean, Up. Up was probably the hardest hitting movie I'd seen in years when I saw it in the theater. I mean, it all depends on this, the situation. Like, I remember I didn't see it in the theater. I didn't see it when it first came out. I remember uh, a friend of mine and his wife brought up over and my wife had seen it in the theater with them and she was she like they told me that she was unemotional because she didn't cry and i remember ashley was saying if you don't cry within the first 10 10 minutes you're not human and this whole movie goes through and i'm just sitting there not crying you know not, not really affected i understand where they were coming from but but then something like like watching independence day every time that scene where randy quaid goes to blow himself up and he's like tell my kids i love them I fucking break down in tears. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I broke down in tears at up. I was like, I was fighting it. I did good. I did good. And then like, I looked around and like every, I don't even know if there was like a dry eye in the fucking theater. I was like, well, like I, I don't feel as bad at, at this very moment. It was like one of my first dates with was this girl at the time. I was like, all right, cry, crying at a movie theater. Awesome. Felt, felt good. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, the Randy Quaid scene gets me uh, every time. God damn I, it. <laughs> um, I was watching The Good Doctor with my wife today in this, this newest episode. I was just like, I, I, I like the show. I like the premise of the show, especially because my son's autistic. Uh, this was one of the first episodes I've actually been able to sit through and watch the whole thing. I was fucking bawling by the end. And she looked at me <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I'm not going to judge you. I cry at this show too. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, so neither of us can say anything really about Wally, but I, I I guess I actually think that might be on my upcoming project. So hopefully it is, and then hopefully I'll have some thoughts on it if I get around to it. Gotcha. Uh, we go then into the Mist, which is the movie with the most dark ending that I fucking absolutely love. But we already talked about it, which is why I didn't put it on our list. Yeah. I also, once again, I didn't consider that post-apocalyptic. I, I felt like by the end, we knew the military was on top of shit. So I I don't know. I I had a hard time claiming that as post-apocalyptic but I, or apocalyptic, but I did see it on a lot of other lists. So I don't know. Difference of opinion. I think it's the ending that does it because in the book there's ambiguity over whether anybody survived at all. And, you know, the military never shows up. And then you hit the movie where the military shows up, you know, just after he kills everybody except for himself. And uh, so, I mean, you still don't know. I, you could ima- I mean, I would imagine that a good majority of people got murked in their houses when giant bugs and shit started flying around. So, Fair enough. All right. And his last honorable mention was a really tough omission for me. No, I I saw it and all of a sudden I was like, God, I can't believe I forgot it because this fucking basically formed like 20 years of fucking post-apocalyptic movies aesthetics. But Mad Max. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. It's one of those films that, you know, especially if you're a child of the 80s, I, I'm pretty sure you have to have great memories of it, right? Right, like that. I, I don't know. It's one of those films that I would say at least eighty percent of children from the '80s saw. Well, I'll, I'll put it like this: 
Mad Max came out early enough in the 80s that even though I was born in the 70s, I don't have as strong memories as I do of Road Warrior, which was on, you know, like HBO and and uh, whatever the... I don't, I don't think we ever had Cinemax, but whatever the other Showtime and the public channel or the, the cable channels that you had were. And then Beyond Thunderdome, which released in, you know, like 85 or 86, and I, maybe even earlier. And I remember, you know, the, the promotion for that with, you know, Tina Turner doing the videos on MTV and... Uh, you know the ads for it on TV and everything. So, uh, you know, I mean, the first one is the one that set it all off, but I think the the second and the third one really more were like product of the '80s, if you know what I mean. The it, first one almost kind of like defines itself. I want to say from like feels like a holdover from like some of the violence of the '70s rolling over into the early '80s. If you get my drift. Absolutely, I I, I would agree with everything you just said. It's Maybe it goes back to what I saw first, but I'm pretty sure I saw Beyond Thunderdome first out of the three movies. Uh, so I, I guess that's always the the Mad Max that I think of first. Uh, just because of the fucking Thunderdome. I, it was such a cool concept that has stood the test of fucking past almost 30 years of being parodied to fucking death. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Who rules Bartertown? Master Blaster rules Bartertown. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, yeah, I I really had, I, once again, I, did, I, I felt it was pointless to bring it up an, on my list, but if it was just my list of straight thinking, I would have had Mad Max up higher. Plus, I mean, the the fact that cool was cool too with Beyond Thunderdome was that the feral kid from the previous movie and then this one is a person who's actually narrating you figure out at the very end so right yeah, yeah. lots of good stuff and mad mad max was that what made gibson into a star or what, what was his first big i want to say if it wasn't that then it was that and then gallipoli were right around the same time and then between like those two and uh, Beyond Thunderdome, he had Mad Max 2, but he also had, like, The Year of Living Dangerously, which I think was up for a couple of Academy Awards, which is probably, you know, the thing that catapulted him beyond, you know, just, like, just action movie fame. Yeah, and once he finished off Thunderdome, he got into Lethal Weapon, which, you know, by then he was already a household name, I would say, but, I mean, that was a huge franchise back then. So Now, now here's, do you feel he served his time? And, like, watch his movies still? Or do you still think that he's, like, should be ostracized for what he said? I, I don't... I'm not one of those people. I, I, I give zero fucks about what people have to say. If I cared, I'd probably hate Ed Norton. But I still love Ed Norton movies. I, 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 I like Mel Gibson movies. Like, the ones that I like, I still like. I... I <laughs> I mean, the, the way I look at it is a person can say something, can hold a belief, whatever... You can't hold that against them because, you know, well, I mean, you can, you can obviously, if they say something racist, inappropriate, whatever, hold it against them at the time, but it shouldn't affect the art. Whereas, like, somebody who has committed a crime, in my opinion, like Kevin Spacey, really tarnishes my ability to go back and watch his movies. Like, I'm, I still will. You know, I fucking love Usual Suspects. I love The Ref, but at the same time, now, it's hard to 
go through and see those performances and be like, God, if only you weren't fucking stupid enough to rape kids. Yeah, I, the whole thing with Spacey, yeah, it, it makes things weird. It, it does make things weird, but simultaneously, fuck, man, Usual Suspects 7, American Beauty, ah, those are all movies, they're mandatory every five years for me, at the very least, I would say. Oh uh, yeah, I mean it, it really hit too the other day. I was watching rewatching Beetlejuice for the first time in years and I saw Jeffrey Jones on there. I was like, "Holy shit." <laughs> there is a fucking pedophile. Jeffrey Jones was a pedophile? Yeah, he got accused and uh he actually got convicted of uh statutory rape um during the in between the second and third seasons of Deadwood, which was I think not one of the main reasons, but one of the secondary reasons why they canceled the series. Huh. I didn't even know he was in Deadwood. I that's a show that I really want to see, and I I love Jeffrey Jones. Like, but then yeah, I was like, I was like, oh god, I wonder how much <laughs> if Winona Ryder had any uh, inappropriate touches. <laughs> One can oh, we we can we can wonder that. Yeah, god damn it, you know Jeffrey Jones is one of those glue guys that he never makes a movie worse. He, he always makes a movie better just by being there. Well, always, you know. I don't know. <laughs> now it would depend on the movie. You know, like, <laughs> how many little kids are going to be in it? Yeah. God damn it. Finding out the truth sucks. <laughs> um, all right. Let's finish off. We finished with Dom. We Dom can move is on. Done. We move on to you. Because you have a few things that I haven't seen, which intrigued me. <laughs> all right. So, my number 10, I remember. It was one of the situations like it was with I Come in Peace, where when you watched it in the 90s, that was the title of the movie, and then you go looking for it, and you're like, that movie doesn't exist, and then you fucking find out that like I Come in Peace is now called Dark Angel. Okay, whatever. Anyways, uh, when I first saw this movie back in the 90s, it was called Blood of Heroes. Now it goes by the title Salute of the Jugger. And it had a pretty fucking amazing cast. I actually... When we first started doing doing this podcast I, or this blog, I started writing out why I picked every single one of them, and then like each one got into be like over a page long, and I was like, my hand started hurting. I was like, fuck this, I'm just go over it with Kent on the podcast. So the whole premise for this movie is that an apocalypse has happened, the world is in shit, and there's this game that athletes play that is basically the only kind of entertainment that all these little farm villages have. Um, and in this game, there's two teams, and they beat the shit out of each other. Like, the two goalies, basically, have like a almost like a flail made out of chains that they whip the other people with. You know, like all the, uh, the midfielders, kind of frontfielders, all have like sticks, almost crosses between like hockey sticks and, and like uh, crutches kind of looking shit. And you have uh, one person called the Quick, who has to carry a dog skull and put it on a post on the opposite end of the field behind the other team. And they have, like, 50 stones to do this. They, they literally put stones on the ground to pick them up and throw them at a gong to count down how long the game has. And it's a cool game. It's a cool concept, but the cast is what sells it because you have Rucker Hauer, uh, Joan Chen, Delroy Lindo before he hit it big, Vincent D'Onofrio before he hit it big, Angelica Houston... Um, and then you get into the second half of the, the movie, and there's a whole class divide where underground, p- 
people still live in relative um, comfort and economy. And like the whole reason that these athletes go around through the countryside is to try to make it big to be invited to play in this underground competition league, you know, where now you actually have like politics and shit introduced into the, the mix. And Rucker Howard used to live down there and play with them and he got exiled back in the day and now he's trying to come back. It was just a really cool, interesting premise and not something that I had ever seen before or since. I, yeah, I was reading about it as you were going on and God damn it, that sounds like a movie I would totally get into. Uh, speaking of Rucker Hauer, briefly, uh, does Blade Runner count for, for this whole thing? Because if it does, I'm shocked that I didn't see it on anybody's list. I don't think there's ever been an actual apocalypse. I just think the world is shitty. Okay. Gone to hell, but I mean, I would almost say it looks more like Blade Runner 2049 from what I watched. Seems to be in a worse place than the world of whatever it was, 1998 or whatever it was in the original Blade, 2019 in the original Blade Runner. It was it was another one of those things where I saw it on some list. I was like, ah, I was once again, there's so much questionable things with these lists. Like, if we actually had people doing these lists, we'd probably have a lot more gray area, but since it's usually just you and I and one or two other people, it's a lot easier because we can just justify our responses. So... Uh, yeah, I definitely want to see that movie. I'm going. I I always make like a little list after after these uh, podcasts of, of movies to watch, and that's something I want to see. It's definitely in like the upper echelon of B movie territory, but it's definitely a B movie. So I mean, it it was not like they spared no expense at making it. But again, it was really interesting. Just go back to see how young Delroy Lindo and like um, Vincent D'Onofrio looked like. I remember the last time I went through, I was like, holy shit, that's the dude from, like, fucking, uh, I forgot what the hell, the Delroy Lindo movie, I had seen it just right before that was, and I was like, holy shit, that's the the guy from Strange Days and fucking Sugar Water, you know, kind of shit, so. So, wait, was D'Onofrio, D'Onofrio should have been a big name by then, because it was two years after Full Metal Jacket, what, was he, fame, was he famous by then, though, or? Well, the two things to go on for me is the fact that I was young enough that my parents didn't really let me watch Full Metal Jacket right when it came out. Because I want to say, I think it came out when I was about six. And um, the other thing is that he lost all that private pile weight. So he looked fucking skinny as shit. So okay. to see him, to see him, you wouldn't even recognize him, you know, from going from the one movie to the next without, I mean, recognize his facial features. Like you can see, you know, it's easier to see Pyle and the Kingpin, I think, than it is to see like Pyle and I forgot what his name was in Blood of Heroes. Gotcha. Okay, makes sense. All right, uh, moving on to number nine. This is uh, Snowpiercer. I found this movie really interesting, really conflicting, but I love the aesthetic. I love the 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 whole premise and the majority of the movie. Um, I don't know, I think a lot of people were mixed on it, and I can understand it. Like, the ending kind of confuses me less than ruins it for me. I think it's still a little bit ambiguous, but overall, I just really enjoyed the movie. I feel that that's one of those movies where the ending can make or break 
your experience with it. I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Hell, I feel like I've had this conversation with you, even. Uh, I liked probably the first, you know, I don't even know, maybe nine-tenths of, of the film. Like, there were times where I was just like, eh, whatever. But it captivated me. I liked the whole idea. And then the ending was like, it pissed me off. It, it I'm not gonna lie; it just really pissed me off, and I was just like, "I don't want to ever see this movie again." I, I, it had a great cast. I there was so much to like Ed Harris, especially. I, I love Ed Harris. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I think people forget is like, and I understand why he gets tired and fed up with being Captain America because he wants to do that. But Chris Evans can fucking act too, man. Oh yeah, the, he he was really freaking good good in that movie. I just like the whole idea of the train. Like, I liked the whole class system. I, I remember after I watched it, I posted on Facebook being disgruntled because uh, I was a little douchebag at the time and decided that I had to vent stuff on Facebook, which, you know, in hindsight, I should not have done. But I did. And, of course, I got <laughs> lots of uh, backlash for it. Uh, I... I yeah, you know, but it it was it was a movie that I, I want to say split people almost right down the middle. There was people that either really loved it, or the most common complaint if people complained was about the ending. Looking back, the ending really wasn't that bad, but at the time, it it bothered me probably more than it should have. I mean, my my this is my whole problem with the ending and the question it boils down for me. I mean, we see earlier on in the movie that just sticking your hand out the side of the window of the, the train will freeze your arm to the point where it just cracks. And then the train derails, which should supposedly kill every human left in existence. And people get out and are walking around the side of the mountain with no special clothing on or anything. And they're alive. And there's a fucking tiger out there with them. And that's walking around and that's alive too. So what the fuck? Exactly. That, that I think that's what pisses people off is that whole, you, you set a standard by one thing, and now this other. Now, you, at the end, you're telling us something else. I think that's where the anger, a lot of anger, comes from. And uh, I don't know. I, it's funny because this morning I was looking over something, and I saw Snowpiercer is the sequel to a fucking Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I was like, no, but. There's a theory about it. I was I was like, if for nothing else, this is going to make my list just for the fact that that is a YouTube video that I've seen pop up on my list multiple times. It, yeah, so <laughs> I I think actually it was on YouTube when I was looking at I was watching Angry Video Game Nerd uh, do Earthbound. So I I I think that's exactly where I saw it was had been YouTube. So yeah, all right. Uh, your number eight's in movie I have not seen, so have yeah, I thought I thought we actually discussed it, you and me, before. Uh, I do not believe so. It's, um, I liked it because it's a different view of the apocalypse. It's not necessarily like a end-of-the-world apocalypse, but it's definitely like an apocalypse where the entire world is changing because of the event that happens. But, um, it's it's basically a fucking love story in regards to like a travel movie as these people have to get through a quarantine center where these titular monsters, which are actually aliens, 
that look like Cthulhu creatures have landed and they basically inhabit the majority of like the equatorial section of the earth. And um, you find out that they're not necessarily hostile. They just don't understand, you know, interacting with humanity. You know, there's no comparable basis for communication or anything. So the majority of the time, it would be just like a wild animal going crazy and taking these people out. And I understand the sequel, which I never saw, changes up a lot of that shit. So I heard it wasn't anywhere near as good either. But it's really just a really good piece, especially considering that the majority of the movie is just the the two actors working together off of each other. And uh, they they really don't hit like a lot of scenes with the creatures, but when they do, they're pretty awesomely well done. And uh, the way it's filmed, like, there's a a big burst of shit going on right at the beginning, and then it starts with the movie, and then when you get to the end, you realize that all the shit that was going on at the beginning is actually the very end of the movie. And everything going before that is a flashback. I do think you, you talked about it, about it, gosh, probably two, three podcasts ago. I, I think I remember you talking about it, but yeah, I've never seen it. Um, is it, is it a, looks like it's a UK movie. So is, is it, does it have like a UK flair to it or no? Uh, I would almost say it reminded me more of like, like a Cloverfield type flair without necessarily feeling derivative of Cloverfield. Do you know what I mean? Gotcha. But like that kind of filming, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say like a J.J. Abrams feel, but you know, almost more like a a slice of like real life that you're just happening happening to capture on camera. But this one wasn't a found footage by any means. So, all right, uh, it's something I I wrote down on this list. So uh, it's something hopefully I can uh, check out. Uh. Your number seven is something we discussed uh, very recently. <laughs> I like The Quiet Place a lot. I uh, I could see some problems with it. I mean, if you want to break down any movie, you can find problems with them. But I really like John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, you know, as a team and individually as actors. Like, like I said before to you, John Krasinski has the best sad eyes I've ever seen in adult, an adult male. And Emily Blunt is just super hot. And the fact that she was able to, you know, like, give birth in this fucking post-apocalyptic scenario, it's fucking amazing. Um, and just shows the strength that women can, you know, fucking have when they're fucking pretend- protecting their children. I was just like, it was a really unique premise, too, the way they used the quiet of the film to highlight, you know, the, the actual situation that the uh, characters were in. Um... I, I think it definitely deserved all the accolades and money that it made last year. Yeah, I, I was a big fan, and I probably have said this before, but normally, like, the big horror movie of the year that gets a lot of hype, usually I'm not too keen on, because if the public's behind it, usually I'm sitting there thinking, well, this is going to be dumb. This was, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it the get-out phenomenon, but there's plenty of examples of it in, in years past. Uh, this was really good. It, 
I, I liked it. it. It was one of the first films that I was going to list on my list, but then I, I looked at yours. So I was like, nah, we'll get an opportunity to, to mention it anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I have no gripes whatsoever. It, it, it does strike me as a movie, though. Do you think 10 years from now it's going to be considered the masterpiece that it kind of... I don't want to use masterpiece, but very good movie that it's considered now, or do you think it's going to age, like, poorly? Well, I think it's still going to be considered a good movie, but I have a feeling that what's going to happen is the sequels are going to fucking run it into the ground. Because, of course, since it does well, did well, they're going to want to make sequels to it. And how do you sustain that once you've gone through this little shit that you've got? Are you going to make... Emily Blunt into like fucking Sigourney Weaver from Aliens where she's a fucking badass chick running around with a fucking speaker system on her fucking or her daughter into that character I don't think that's a natural extension from where they go and unless they completely abandon that setting and move to different characters just in a different situation which could possibly work depending upon how they run it uh, I, I don't see it doing well or at least being as good as the first one was I think that's realistically the only way to do if, if you, which they're insisting on doing a sequel. I get it. it. If you don't do the sequel to this particular film, I think you got to tell a whole other story. I, I don't. I don't want to see that family story beyond what I saw already. I don't. There's really not much to add in in my opinion. I. But would I be intrigued to see another group or family's experience dealing with it? Possibly if they could tell enough of a different story, but if the story is really not going to be that much different, then there's just no point at all. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, exactly. I completely agree with you. But, alright. Uh, let's move on to your number six. This is probably right around the cusp. Like you said, there were a couple after that were pretty good, but I think this is maybe one of John Carpenter's best later movies in the mouth of madness one of the only movies that i really absolutely love sam neill in uh, for some reason he just rubs me wrong in a lot of shit i see him but i see him in this movie and i'm like that is a perfect part for him and it fucking worked i've only seen this movie once i saw it with other people in the room i did not get to focus on it nearly enough it was on my list of things to watch in October, and I still failed. I don't have anything uh, to contribute to this because I don't remember enough to really... Uh, it's a movie that has been hyped so much that I want to... I, I need to just be isolated. It's a movie I need to be isolated to watch. and, and, and any, any movie that can com composite a uh, take on Stephen King... Lovecraft's kind of mythos, uh, and then break the fourth wall into meta to show the ending of the world where the main character goes insane and loses and still is a good movie, <laughs> works for me. Yeah, I, I I think once I get to sit down and just properly view it, I, I think I'm going to probably absolutely love the movie and probably regret not having watched it. I, you know what? I take it back. I think I saw it when it first came out on VHS, and I don't remember a damn thing about it, once again, because memory is a difficult thing for me. So, uh, yeah, it's on my list. Uh, 
number f- your number five. I think I've seen it before, but I kind of need your description of it to see if All I right. fully remember. M- number five, Sunshine by Danny Boyle, exists in two movies. There's the fucking amazing one, which is about a journey to the sun, which is going out in this story and they're trying to reignite it by sending a spaceship to shoot nuclear missiles into it in the hopes that it will cause the sun to flare again and allow human life to survive on earth and all these astronauts who are going up there know that they're going to die know that there's no way they're making it back so they're sacrificing themselves to try to save the earth and uh just the thought that goes into it and the the craft and the acting because it was like um uh Cillian Murphy, uh, Chris Evans, uh, Michelle Yeoh. You know, it was just a really good cast. Rose Byrne. Yeah, great premise. Good performances. Well thought out. Oh, Cliff Curtis. Is Cliff Curtis the actual lead in this, or is he just listed first? He's just listed first. It's Cillian Murphy or Chris Evans are probably the actual lead. Okay, and, I, and I own they, the movie, apparently, so I'm happy about this already. And then, then there's the second half, where they discover the previous ship, because they sent out like multiples to make sure that at least one of them survived, where the captain went crazy, decided to start worshipping the sun, and turns into some kind of fucking horror movie monster that nobody can actually look at. All you get is the lens flare from the sun whenever he shows up. Uh, at which part, it goes downhill. But it's, it's still a relatively good movie like the visuals are incredible the fucking science is pretty semi-realistic i guess you would say the performances are are what really sells this movie for me though i mean at one point they have an accident they try to dock with the other ship to see what's happened because it's just drifting and uh, like they lose hydroponics so they realize that now there's going to be that much less uh oxygen that much less food blah 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 so they have to figure out who's the least vital person to the mission to be able to sacrifice them so there's enough for at least one person to survive to shoot this missile off? I I know I've seen it once, but I, I also know the time period that I saw it, and that explains why I don't remember everything that you just described, but I remember the whole sun thing, and obviously I liked it enough that I did buy it. I know I intentionally bought it versus... Eh, sometimes I I do have some movies that I did not uh, I I got like as just part of a big bundle from a uh, dude. So this this it, was a movie I definitely intentionally bought. Though. It was one of those situations too, where it's like the guy who's alive and burnt up, and he's like somehow he's like a super monster now, like he's super strong. You know, I'm like you can, you can feel where there was like a breakdown and like the director wanted to make one movie and like people were like no 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 we need to make we need to throw these horror elements in when the situation would have just been scary enough as it is because of the realities of like what they had to go to to get there but um if they had gotten rid of like that whole fucking monster aesthetic this probably would have been closer to two or three on my list at least if they had continued on in the movie in the way that I saw it going from the beginning and th- this came out after 28 weeks, right? Or 28 days. Yeah, I want to say it was the next thing that um, Alex Boyle did. Okay. All right, fair enough. Uh, your number four is something that I am not at all familiar with. Uh, I didn't even look it up. I didn't want to look it up. I wanted to hear it from you what the hell you- this is. All right, so this is what relates to Nine, because the guy who directed these... 
directed nine directed these immediately prior to that and this is what got him noticed and he directed wanted to and i don't know if he's done anything since then but these are russian movies and the whole premise is like supernatural forces exist and they go to war with each other all the time and like back in the day the forces of light and the forces of darkness were doing like their final battle kind of thing and they realized that they were going to basically just destroy everything if they continued on so they formed a truce and they created a night watch and a day watch now the night watch are the forces of light the day people who police the night people the forces of darkness and the day watch are the forces of darkness who police the day people so basically it would be like if during the cold war america policed germany and germany policed america or russia police america and america policed russia kind of thing so in order to kind of keep the detente and the balance going you know and the whole time they're doing this trying to keep average man and the public from realizing what's going on so uh night watch isn't so much about the end of days although there's a potential you know end of the world kind of scenario but what happens is at the end of that first one you basically got like the two chosen kind of figures one on the light and one on the dark and day watch is about them having to go up against each other and the apocalypse that ensues after that like the the filming is beautiful the special effects are awesome Although it's a little dated now because they came out early 2000s. Like, I want to say, like, 2003, 2007, maybe. Somewhere in that area. And you're having, of course, less of a budget because it was done in Russia compared to being done over here. But, um, like, at one scene in the second one, there's a giant uh, carousel that gets animated and just starts rolling through Moscow, destroying shit. It's, it's just... It's really creative. It's out of the world and it's it's one of like the foreign movies that I put up there with like Brotherhood of the Wolf where it's just like these are on my must see every year list kind of shit uh, do you know of any place that uh, streams this stuff or is it probably something that you just got to buy or you know find other ways of getting um, it might be something you have to find or buy I mean I'll, after we finish up tonight I'll, I'll take a look but you know I mean I, I bought them I mean, I saw Nightwatch when it was in the theater because that one got a theatrical release. Um, I loved it, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't something that did really successful over here. It did way better overseas. But uh, I just, like, the, for the sheer vision, you know, the, the aesthetic of it, I was like, this movie is fucking awesome. I mean, it had, like, martial arts and fucking vampires and end of the world and witches and magic and... Like, this guy plays a video game where he pulls his own spine out to use as a sword. It's pretty fucking awesome. That's pretty goddamn fascinating. <laughs> Shit, okay. I am glad that I waited for your explanation, and it's added to the list. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to try to get to that uh, possibly by the end of the month. I got two weeks plus. Uh, moving on to your number three, which was a movie that I Definitely was going to have on my list until I saw it on yours. I think uh, The Mist has the most depressing ending I've ever seen. But if I think if you look overall at a movie, the most depressing movie I've ever seen is The Road. And it just doesn't fucking let up the entire time. Like, there's no hope. Nobody knows what even caused this shit to happen everybody's either evil or a cannibal except for the father who's dying and the son who's barely struggling to make it 
and then uh, at the very ending when he meets the family and there's a possibility of light like part of me is like Guy Pierce is just waiting to get this dude fucking down the road before he's gonna fucking cannibalize him and his fucking dog I don't know that's just me but um visually they they did a great job of translating the, the novel I like Viggo Mortensen is fucking one of my favorite actors and he fucking nailed it the kid did a really good job being a fucking kid in the situation um, Charlize Theron at the beginning when she's the fucking mom and she's like I can't do it I'm gonna go kill myself bye yeah it was just really good all around movie but super fucking depressing yeah uh how I'm just I'm just learning right now that the boy grew up in was a nightcrawler in X-Men Apocalypse did not know that uh yeah fucking it was great I mean Robert Duvall too I mean a lot of the, like, Guy Pierce and Duvall and, and Charlie's, they didn't have, if I recall, neither, none of them had, like, huge, huge roles, but they were all important, like, chapters to the story, if you will. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and Vigo, I, I I don't see enough Vigo. I, I really appreciate everything that he does. And I, I can say the same for Guy Pierce. I, Guy Pierce really is one of those guys that he doesn't make the best choices for films all the time, but I like his performances. Uh, he, um, the one thing with Guy Pierce is he still does a lot of stuff in Australia in between, you know, like everything that gets released over here. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the proposition, but that was fucking amazing. So no, I, I didn't. And I'm actually seeing that Garrett Dillahunt was in it too. And shit, I didn't even, I really need to go back. It's one of those movies that's never on sale. That I I never see it on sale, so I don't own it. I've only rented it, and I feel like it's been streaming someplace though. Probably. I mean, if I'm trying to think, like, if Garrett Dillahunt was in it, he was probably just one of like the fucking a gang member. Yeah, crazy people who fucking tried to kill a kid or something. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but I, I I still like. I like him quite a bit. Um, yeah, th- this this movie is... It's so well done. It's not... Like, the story, obviously... <laughs> don't go in expecting anything happy because there's nothing happy here. But it's a really great movie. Um, actually, just like... Uh, <laughs> your number two film... Did I include... Yeah, I did include your number two film. I couldn't leave it off my list. Well, let's just talk about it on your list then. Okay. And okay. we'll skip to my number one. This movie scared the shit out of me when I was a fucking kid. Like, more than anything else. And it's because of the subject matter it deals with. And I think because of, it was one of the first, like, really nihilistic movies I saw. But it's called Miracle Mile. Anthony Edwards was in it. Uh, the only other person I really remember was... Um, the woman who played Tasha Yar from Star Trek The Next Generation. Would that be Mayor Winningham? Uh, no. Okay. I really like her. But um, basically the premise is this guy's dating this girl and he's really into her and he's waiting outside um, her diner for her to show up for her night shift to see her. And uh, while he's waiting outside there, the payphone outside the um, restaurant rings. He picks it up and he answers it. And... Um, it's somebody fucking flipping out on the other line, and they're like, the, the Russians have launched, the Russians have launched. He's like, what? He's like, isn't this the CIA? 
He's like, no, you're fucking, there's a payphone outside the diner. And the dude's like, fuck, I, I got the wrong people. But the Russians have launched their, launched their nukes. You've got hours before it gets there. Or maybe like an hour before it gets there. And he goes in and he lets everybody know what, you know, the phone call he just got. And the one of the women works in the government. She calls up and they're like, yep, uh, they're fucking nuclear missiles are heading to all the major American cities. So uh, they basically have like an hour and a half to get out of L.A., and it's like he goes to find his girlfriend and he finds her and then it's like all the struggling to get out and then right as they're about to get out and make it they fucking don't and they fucking die and burn up in the fucking nuclear explosion and I remember I saw this when I was like 8 or 9 and the fact that like the main characters like no matter what he did it didn't fucking matter and the f everybody dies in the nuclear explosion fucking like really fucking affected me fair enough I I've never even heard of this movie, and you've kind of sold me on it, plus, as you were explaining it, this movie is packed with people that I like that aren't big names, but they're people, like, Kurt Fuller was in No Holds Barred and The Running Man, and Kelly Jo Minter was in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, uh, Mayor Winningham was in uh, American Horror Story Season 5 Hotel, there's just a lot of these people that I, I like, uh, Earl Bowen. So even though I don't, I don't have anything against Anthony Edwards. He's just not a guy I'd watch a movie because he was in, but God damn, this cast is really great. I mean, if this was like right after Top Gun, but bef and Revenge of the Nerds, but before, you know, like, um, any of the ER shenanigans or any of that shit. So, yeah, I, still, it's, it, this seems like a movie I would really enjoy, so... Uh, I have a feeling like the, the premise and the plot will probably hold up. I have a feeling like the aesthetics of it won't. Like, I have a feeling that this was a very... I forgot what year it actually came out, but a very 80s or 90s looking movie, if you know what I mean. Sure. Uh, you know, it's not so bad when you live through the era. I, I feel if you haven't lived through the era... And this goes back to, like, you know, even, like, going back and, like, watching a movie from the 70s is a little bit more difficult, probably, than for somebody who lived through the 70s, basically. I mean, look at, like, the, the stuff from the 40s and the 50s that's still relatively popular. And, like, could you imagine kid trying to explain to your kids why, you know, back then, just in the movies or whatever, your mom and your dad had to have separate beds? <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, that's very true. <laughs> Uh, that's a good good point. I I would agree with that. I just oh god, it was right around the new year. I Amazon had I think it was Casablanca and Citizen Kane both for five bucks pop. I was like, yep, very excited about that. It's a good double pick. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, you had some honorable mentions, which I'm gonna guess you want to just get through even though i know we've talked about them so that's probably why they were honorable mentions right yeah basically it was the post-apocalyptic zombie and vampire movies that we talked about the last couple months 28 days later pontypool stakeland crazy train to busan and the girl with all the gifts which and, you know every time i think about it like the ending gets me more and more for that movie but did you watch or not watch did you read the book uh the girl with all the gifts like i don't know if that was actually the name of the book or not I think it was, but no, I never read it. You know, I I never even seen it until, um, or you know, even an advertisement for it until you told me about it, and then I saw it was on Prime. 
downloaded it and you know, just sat on my phone for like six months until I finally had the time, whatever, to go and watch it. And I was like, Ugh, this is a good movie, but it's fucking depressing. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, uh, Pontypool. Uh, that was a movie that I struggled not to list, but once again, it's, I, I tried going for things we hadn't really talked too much about, which I, I think was kind of like what you were going for as well. Uh, so... Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about your list? No, I mean, I see a couple of the ones on your list. And, uh, like, part of me would have loved to have put, like, something like Planet of the Apes. But, again, you know, because we're primarily horror, I was trying to think of, okay, I know some of these are not going to be necessarily horror, but, you know, nihilism, you know, the some of the situations that, like, the, sh- the dudes went through in Snowpiercer with, like, the violence and, like, eating rendered cockroaches and shit, fucking, pretty fucking scary to me, so... Right, right. Probably the the protein bar was the worst part for me. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I can get behind that. Absolutely. Um. So, I, I want to attack my honorable mentions just quickly because I only put three on. Uh, a quiet place. I felt just I I need to put it on there. Uh, Carriers and Outbreak were two films that I really initially wanted to put on, but. I, at the end of the day, I didn't. I, I think I preferred Outbreak over Carriers, but I thought I thought both films were flawed, but also had decent ideas behind them. Have you seen both of them? Damn you, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot about him being an Outbreak. God damn it. It's okay. He dies. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as Kevin Spacey dies, it's an okay film. <laughs> uh, no, I, liked, I liked Outbreak a lot. Was that... Um... Was that a Michael Crichton? I don't remember. I mean, I remember when it came out that it was, you know, just big. You know, a lot of, because of the cast, but... Um, I think it was, Michael. Too. I think you're right. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty good movie. Um, and Carriers, I saw it once. That's the one with Christopher Pine and Chris Maloney, right? Yes. And it was pretty good, but I don't remember everything because, like, it was on... And I sat down to watch it, and then like people came over, or something happened where I couldn't put my entire attention on it, and I remember I missed portions of it. But um, you know, I like both of the actors. I want to say who else was in it, like Piper Perabo or something. It was it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, it, it had a good cast. It, I don't remember enough about it, other than I remember I liked it. I remember. I think I saw it twice, and I remember going out and buying it. But because I can't sit here and give you any kind of refined plot or anything, I, I couldn't put it higher. Where at least Outbreak, I could reasonably be like, hey, there was a monkey involved. I can't really offer much with Carriers. So that's why it's honorable mention, not higher. Um, gotcha. <laughs> my number 10 movie is probably not doesn't even fall under this category but I don't know what the hell category it falls under and it gives me an opportunity to once again say just how good this movie is it's called Stephanie it's on Netflix it has a really like probably the first 20 to 30 minutes is fun slash creepy as fuck Uh, and the reason why it belongs on this list is also something I don't want to give away a plot point to because I 
Anybody that's listening to this probably hasn't seen Stephanie not want to give it away. You, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah, I remember seeing the ads for this, and I never saw it, though. But I do like Frank Grillo a lot, so... Yeah, Frank Grillo is all. He's he's one of those guys that I do like seeing on my screen. He's really good in it. Uh, the little girl who plays Stephanie is really good. Uh, I got Christy to watch it. And she she really liked it. Um, I all I can say is I highly recommend it, and maybe people will understand why I put it on here. There there is something that's going on in the world, and like her parents have contact like with I think it's like Africa or South America like shit's kind of going down around the world and that's why I could kind of wedge it into this but really it was just more an excuse to try to tell people to go watch Stephanie and be happy so yeah um my number nine I, I kind of felt these two go hand in hand the Omega Man and I Am Legend and Oh, uh, you're you're true. You're truly truly correct in that. Yeah. Was was there another movie made based on the same premise, or am I mistaken? Do you know? Well, it's a good thing I have my good old trusty IMDb open. It, I, I do too. I I swear there's like a third movie that was kind of based on the same story, but I don't I don't know what it would be anymore. It looks. They have a couple, like, TV shit, but uh, I think they talked about making it an actual one before the Will Smith one came out. And I'm trying to remember, if if they did one before Omega Man came out, I'm not seeing it. But, yeah, I mean, you've got one that's a little closer to the actual story, and then one that changes the details, but... Uses the actual name. I don't know. They're both pretty good, and they both had good good performances from strong leads, or mostly only character. So right. I mean, I, I will say this: the Omega Man has re- like it's it's hard. It's aged <laughs> so so much. Uh, uh, you, you kind of have to have a, a sense of humor going into the movie, uh, in my opinion. Like. There's a lot of things that you just look at and you're going to probably giggle at and be like, why is this so fucking cheesy? But it was really good. I mean, it had to have been great at the time. And I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, oh, this is a really uh, cool cool idea. So, I don't know. I, I, I feel that it belonged on this list. Uh, it's got a GP rating. What the fuck's GP? Is it like general public? Uh, I guess. I mean, I, I do remember that when it came out when I was little, it scared me too. So, yeah, like some of the, some of the things uh, are creepy as fuck. So, yeah, uh, I'll move on. My number eight, Cabin Fever. I don't. All right, I've seen all the Cabin Fever movies. So I saw the original three movies plus the awful, awful, awful remake. Uh. I don't know if I, I. It's definitely a virus thing, and judging by it, it seems like it's going to hit at least the U.S. if not the whole world. But ah, it's kind of a, it's it's pre-apocalyptic in, in some ways, in, in my estimation. I, I don't know. 
it, it's a it's a virus movie. I, do you, do you understand what I'm saying by being like pre-apocalypse? Yeah, it, it's not actually spread enough to be the apocalypse itself, but it's leading up to it. Uh, other than Stephanie, this is the only movie on your list that I have never seen any of them. I I know well. At least in October, most of them were on one streaming service or another. Uh, I want to say between between Prime, Hulu, and Netflix, I think that most of them are available. Uh, I can't sit here and say that I recommend all of them, but the first one is so good that you most likely are going to be like, all right, let's give it a shot, and yeah. You may regret that, but... <laughs> yeah, it came out, I want to say, uh, when I was in the military, probably overseas, and I just don't remember like anybody being excited enough for it or like seeing it and being like, oh, Theo, you got to go see this. So um, it just kind of like slipped through my radar. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know where I really, I don't even know if it got much like, advertisements or anything like that. I think I just kind of rented it on more of a, a whim of, hey, I know that guy. He was on Boy Meets World and... Yeah. Is that, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that like the first thing that um, Eli yeah. Roth did after Hostel? Uh, this was before Hostel. Oh, was it before Hostel? Th- this is what made him uh, uh, gave him any kind of uh, name. I- I'm pretty sure. This was his big, big uh, success because that was, yeah, 2002. And, oh, yeah, Jordan yeah. Ladd's in it. She was she was something fun to look at. Okay, yeah, that, that, that would have come out then probably when I was in basic training, which would be exactly why I didn't see it. Yeah, cause, yeah, Hostel came out in 2005, so, yeah. This was uh, pretty much his launching pad uh, as main dude, so... Uh, definitely recommended. And <laughs> my number seven is one of... It's a terrible movie. It's a terrible movie, but it's a guilty pleasure, and I will watch it if I see it on TV for whatever reason. The fucking happening. I I know it's a bad movie. If anybody's listening to this and groaning, believe me, I get it. It's a bad movie. But... I can't help but watch it. I, I don't know why. Are, do you like the movie at all? Uh, I went and saw it in the theater, and it was one of the only cases where I was like, please give me my money back. No, I didn't ask for it, but I wish I could have asked for my money back. I, I get it. I, I Every time I see it and I get to the end, I'm like, God damn it, why did I do this? But there's enough there that... I wish somebody else had directed it. Even though I think M. Knight does some things right, this was not something he did right. I don't even... I feel like the cast was all wrong. The cast was definitely all wrong. That was not a part that Mark Wahlberg should have had. I didn't buy anything between him and Zoe Deschanel. Um, the supporting cast wasn't bad, but again, it wasn't... It was The script was weak. The, the whole twist was... Weak as fuck. The cool thing were the fucking deaths. They'd had some really interesting fucking ones. Like the people just walking off the top of the roof, the guy laying down in front of the lawnmower, the fucking lion just ripping the people's arms off at the zoo. That was fucking cool. 
yeah. Uh, honestly, it, it's it's got some cool parts, and that's why I. I mean, I, I think it's fair to just say that it is a guilty pleasure, and don't judge me, people. I also really have a hard-on for maximum overdrive. So, there you go. Um, number six, you brought up Planet of the Apes. I, I don't even know if this really qualifies, but I did see this on quite a few lists. Do you think it, it qualifies? Well, which one are we talking about? Original... Mark Wahlberg or the James Franco? We'll go. We'll go old school. We'll go original. Oh, yeah, that's a post-apocalyptic. I mean, the, the apocalypse has already happened. Humanity's pretty much wiped out, and mutated apes are now in charge. But considering the fact that they dig up the uh, Empire State Building or nothing, the Statue of Liberty. Pardon me. Uh, yeah, I would say that definitely qualifies. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those. Uh how do you know... Did, did you consider... I don't know if I consider Planet of the Apes even a great movie, but there's so many entertaining aspects, mainly Charlton Heston, but Roddy McDowell, too. Uh, I don't know. I think the pieces, the sum of the pieces is better than the whole in, in some capacity uh, with with uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I've watched most of the originals. And they they vary in quality, especially like the ones where they they go back in time, you know, to show how it happens. Um, but I, I put it like this: like the originals were good, and they they raised some interesting questions. And you know, the way I see it, any sci-fi is better than no sci-fi because uh, there are a lot of people who aren't interested in that at all. And, you know, just would kind of kill the genre for people who are. But um, I see it as, you know, it gave way to the much more superior modern films, which I really enjoyed all of them so far. And, um, you know, Andy Serkis has knocked it out of the park. I like the, the character, you know, James Franco, I think, did a really good job in the first one. Uh, Jason Clark did a good job in the second one. Woody Harrelson was awesome in the third one, so. I I feel like I've, I, I know I saw the first of, of the new ones. I don't know. I'm questionable whether I've seen the second one or not, but I, I liked them. Like, I, I thought they did enough things differently to to really, I don't know, I thought they did a good job. Is there any more in the works, do you know? Uh, I don't know, but if there isn't, I'm happy because, you know, somebody was like, hey, bring up a, 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 a new remake trilogy that's actually as good as the original. So I was like, Planet of the Apes. It's a really solid just movie trilogy. Yeah. Uh, huh. God damn it. IMDB is breaking my balls here. I'm seeing that Jason Reitman is set to direct a Ghostbusters movie. So, killing more of my hopes and dreams. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sony. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, number five, I had Book of Eli. We already talked about my number four movie was your number two movie, which was 12 Monkeys. Uh, fucking fantastic movie. Uh, that, that's the first thing I got to say about it. Uh, who was it? It was Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Madeline Stowe. Madeline, yes, Madeline. God damn it. Th this was a movie that when I first saw it, it, it really... 
I, I want to say it kind of blew my mind in, in some ways. I, I like I sat there. I was just like really. I did not want to be disturbed. I was very much into the movie, and so far, as far as I'm concerned, it's held up really well. I haven't bothered watching the series. Not to say I've heard good things about it, but I just I didn't want it to detract. But um, when I was a kid. And just really coming into starting watching movies and enjoying movies and stuff. I, me- I remember that Brazil had just come out and my family raved about it. But it wasn't anything that they would show me or I was really interested in. I think the first Terry Gilliam movie I watched as it came out was Fisher King. And I really liked that movie. And this was the second. And just, you know, since then, everything that he's done, I fucking loved. I would say that he's a super underappreciated director that doesn't get enough props, uh, not only for the shit he did with Monty Python, but, you know, everything he's done since then. But 12 Monkeys fucking... You know, there are a lot of times when people look at, like, Brad Pitt and they're like, yeah, he's a pretty face, but the dude can't act. Or they look at Bruce Willis and they see that, you know, he's phoned in some fucking performances, but they say that, you know, he's just a fucking action hero guy. But, you know, both of those guys have fucking chops and this movie fucking showcases it i mean not to mention that like just solid secondary cast christopher Plummer, david morris again madeline stowe she disappeared but she was fucking great in almost everything that she did so it's just a, a really interesting concept too between is this guy insane is this time travel what's going on you know yeah i i agree wholeheartedly on brad pitt i i think that guy takes way more shit than he he deserves like he i've seen him outperform so-called great actors several times uh, plus there was for a while Brad Pitt just made movies that i wanted to see and there's something to be said for that like you know what i mean like i don't need every single movie to be some artsy movie sometimes i just want to see a movie that looks like it's going to be fun as hell for me and Brad oh, did that you know so and I think back, but when people don't talk about his range, I think something like this to snatch, you know, to where you can fucking barely understand what he's saying the entire movie. Dig? <laughs> uh, I, snatch is on my upcoming project as well. I'm excited to rewatch that. I haven't seen it probably in about two years or so, and every time that movie. Every time, like I, I know that I love the movie, but then when I rewatch it, like I always find little bits and pieces that I, I just, I don't know. I guess I enjoyed more than the last time I saw it. It's the only way I can describe it. I mean, I really feel like that's like one of the last Guy Ritchie movies that wasn't tainted by Hollywood. Now he's done some stuff I like since then, but you know, like that really felt like he still had his identity to himself before he started making like. Guy Ritchie movies, if you know what I mean. Sure, yeah, I, I get it, and yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, God damn it, Snatch is really good. Snatch is so good that I've actually bought that as Christmas gifts for for people because I felt confident. Sometimes I don't like in people movies unless I'm super confident in it, but Snatch is a movie I'm confident enough and and given to people. So, uh. Moving along, number three for me, I had Children of Men, and I was kind of surprised I didn't see... Well, I think had we had more people, maybe Children of Men would have made on somebody's list. 
have you seen it? If if we were doing just a straight up post apocalyptic, not necessarily with the horror connotation, the way that we kind of angle towards, yeah, it would have definitely been on my my list. I remember seeing the the ads in the trailers, and I was like, eh. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, wow, this is fucking really good. And they, for the most part, really well shot and really well thought out. I really like Clive Owen a lot as an actor. He's done some boners, but for the most part, most of the shit that he does is something that I'm going to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny, because I have back-to-back movies with Julianne Moore in it. Uh, I, I think she's a really good actress when, when she picks a good role. Like, if, if she's in, in a movie that's decent, she can really kill it. Uh, and I, I really thought she was great in a Michael Caine, uh, <laughs> fucking Charlie Hunnam from Sons of Anarchy and Danny Houston was in it. Like, there's so many good to great actors in this. In uh, the promo material, like, the trailers and stuff did not excite me at all. I didn't think it was going to be a good movie, but I had enough people tell me to give it a shot, so I eventually did. And I I don't know, it was a movie that kind of took me a little bit to get into. If I remember correctly, it's a little slow in the beginning, but it constantly escalates throughout. I would say it's it's relatively a slow burn almost throughout the whole thing, but yeah, there's definitely an escalation. I mean, if you're talking just in terms of action... It's probably a good, what, three quarters of it before you finally hit that last city where the fucking actual war is going on. That it, it, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just a movie... Unfortunately, a lot of the movies on my list really don't go horror. But you can see the... No matter what, in most of these situations, something horrific has happened, even though these movies, some a lot of them, especially on my list, aren't necessarily horror horrific things have happened and that that is my defense for pretty much my whole list because there's hardly any real horror on it um but my number two movie is the other movie i watched i watched nine and then i watched blindness and i get pissed off because i don't know hardly anybody that's seen this movie and I think it's a goddamn classic fucking movie. Mark Ruffalo before he was Hulk and Julianne Moore uh, starring it. And, you know, people just start going blind. It starts with a, a, an Asian man uh, who gets checked out and then it just kind of spreads. And they show one thing I love about it is how they show all the people connected early on slowly getting this blindness disease. Uh, I I thought I just thought it was really well done. Uh, you've seen it? I take it back. This is the third movie that I haven't seen. God damn it! Um, uh, I it's it's definitely uh it's depressing. The the uh, without giving too much away, like basically, you know, obviously, you know, people get quarantined and. What I, I thought was so fascinating was how in depth they show like the quarantine conditions and how everybody just devolved and yet how people adapted because there's just basically this building with I think it's like an old hospital 
in various wards of blind people and they all make their own groups and, and and stuff. It's very interesting. And then of course things break down further and further. Uh, and then there's kind of almost like, it's not a second half, but like, I would say there's probably like three acts to the movie. There's the initial part setting everything up. Then there's the hospital stuff. And then there's the final stuff. I just highly recommend it. If if you don't watch any other movie that's on my list, although I really think Stephanie should be up there, really try to find Blindness. I don't know where the hell to find it, but I highly recommend it. it I, I, I love Mark Ruffalo, though, too. I don't know how you feel about him. Yeah, I like him. So, and... Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know who the hell directed it. I, it's interesting. I was reading on IMDb, and... It's not like they were very vague about where it was. It's just a not no name city. They don't give it a name or anything. Uh, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of liked not knowing where it was. Uh, so yeah, my number one film, which was always going to be my number one film. When you first brought up this list, this was the first thing that was on my mind, and uh, Dom also had as his number three. Uh, Stephen King's The Stand, which <sighs> it's cheesy as fuck. It, it came out, what, 93, 94? Yeah, it was pretty young, and I mean, the fact that Parker Lewis was still pretty young in it. Yeah, uh, God. There, there's so many good talents in this movie that you know, it was kind of like a mix of people that were famous and people that were going to go on to bigger things I, I feel in some capacity but like you know had even small parts with Ed Harris and Kathy Bates but Gary Sinise was was the main dude uh, they had Dauber from Coach I, I don't ever know how to pronounce his last name uh, so I don't even try anymore uh, God damn it, Molly Ringwald, as you mentioned, Parker Lewis, uh, Rob Lowe, uh, Laura San Giacomo or Giacomo. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce her name either. Yeah, Giacomo, I think maybe. Okay, yeah. Uh, of course, the dude plays uh, Randall Flagg there. I can't even fucking think of his name. He was on like Jamie Sheridan. Yeah. Jamie Sheridan, yeah. Uh, all in tra- fucking trash can man and Miguel Ferrer. There's just a ton of people. Of course, Stephen King's in it. Uh, six hours because I was, I almost woke up and was like, I'm just gonna watch the fucking stand. But I, six hours is a chunk of your day to just sit down and watch it. Now, granted, I've watched the film at least twenty times. When when I was a kid, I watched it a lot. See, I the. I'm like, can you pick a miniseries as a film? I'll let you pass since it's your your podcast. But I mean, that gives you that gives you like an extra six to eight hours to build up characterization and everything compared to like a two hour movie. You're right. You're right. And the thing is, that should have even been longer. I, I still hope that HBO someday decides to do a ten episode series uh, of The Stand. I will say this: this. Because of my love for The Stand, after I got out of college, The Stand was the first book that I actually sat down and read on my own volition, so to speak. And I picked a really long fucking 
book, but it was one of the most rewarding book reading experiences of my life. No, no doubt. Uh, just cause I, I really don't read a lot of books. I, I fully admit that, but God damn it. What a, I don't know. I love the book. I love the movie. Uh, the movie is kind of like inspired many, many things in my life. Uh, have a drink called the Stu Redman, which is a mixture of Stuart's red uh, energy drinks and vodka. Uh, so there's that for anybody that uh, likes that sort of stuff. And I will say Molly Ringwald was not good in this movie. I don't care what people say. She was not good. She was not a good choice for, for the role. I, I, really I am going to make a controversial statement, and I should say Molly Ringwald is a very overrated actress. How's that controversial? I mean, aside from like I, I a, think, a few good I think movies. a lot of people have a very nostalgic view of the majority of um, the John Hughes 1980s movies that she was in, but uh, I was just watch, re-watching um, 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink uh, pretty recently, and I'm like, like, if you tried to put her performance into a modern movie, people would be like, what the fuck is this? Um, I will say, I like The Stand. Uh, it was one of the first Stephen King miniseries I watched when, when it came out, you know, that I was allowed to, because I remember, um, like, my brother and I had gone down to the library when we were, like, eight and nine and tried to, to rent some Stephen King books out from the Johnstown Public Library, and they, they sent us home with a note to our aunt, and, like, can these kids... <laughs> read these takes these books out and they <laughs> they put a note on our account after our aunt got back in touch with them that we were not allowed to <laughs> to check out adult books until we were older um well at least adult horror movie books until we were older uh the, the best thing i think about the stand was it gave us back rob lowe as an actor because he had still been in um uh like uh kind of limbo for a while after having that underage sex tape scandal come out and he's gone on to do a, a hell of a lot of fun things um, and even uh, I think uh, the Salem's Lot miniseries that he did you know a couple of years later was, was pretty good too so yeah uh, also I really liked Ruby D who played uh, Mother Abigail I thought she was she was a really good uh good performer in that. Uh there there's a lot there's a lot to love, there's a lot to dislike. Uh I it's one of those movies one of those movies miniseries whatever where anybody that's read the book will be obnoxious about it. It, it points back, well why didn't they do this? And, you know, it's the same old same old thing with with book readers, but for the 90s for a miniseries I think they did about as good as it was going to get. I mean, if you look at all the Stephen King miniseries that have been out there, this is probably one of the best. It doesn't necessarily hold up, but then I think most of his don't. Um, I mean, compare it to It, compare it to Rose Red, compare it to um, The Shining. I think its stand is probably the number one. I mean, that's not necessarily saying stuff. If I think Almost any modern remake could probably do a better job, especially if they follow like the it aesthetic that they took from it part one. But uh, yeah, it was definitely good when it came out. It's still like the only version of the stand that we have. So 
Yeah. For life me, I, I don't... I don't know. Do, do you... Th- would you rather see them do it in, in a film style, or would you rather see an HBO fucking 10 or 12 episode miniseries? I would rather see a miniseries, even if it wasn't at HBO, but, you know, an adult miniseries, not like a Hallmark, you know, or, you know, we're going to just go for the cheapest budget that we can. But, yeah, I don't think really long forms of fiction, if you're going to translate it, should be done as movies or um, or the new thing that they're doing. Hey, let's make a series out of it. We'll do, like, 16 fucking seasons and add in all this stupid bullshit that wasn't in the fucking original book. And also, don't pull a Dark Tower. Yeah, I'm hearing that they're talking about rebooting that, so knock on fucking wood. I... I didn't even watch it. I, I I plan on it someday, but I still haven't worked myself up to watch it yet. It, it seems pointless. It, it really... What was it? Seven? Eight books? And Seven books, but I mean, they, they cross over shit from all over the place. Yeah, yeah still. Yeah. Uh, and the worst thing is, I really... I'm pissed that McConaughey got that role because I... I've long envisioned McConaughey as Randall Flagg. I, I, I really want to see him as Randall Flagg in a Stand remake. And now I don't think I don't think he would take that role. Uh, do you? I would say it would probably have to be either a a huge fucking amount of money or like just a really strong premise. You know, like with the right director, script writer, you know, kind of co-stars kind of shit. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Also, I, I say bring Gary Sneese back to be Stu. I don't care that it's been 20 years or 25 years. Whatever, fuck it. Just, I still like Gary Sneese. Uh, yeah, I do too, but I would assume at this point <laughs> that he's probably a little old for Stu. He's got to be way too old, especially to take that... The tumble down the hill, which, oh, god damn it. That's always one of the f- my favorite things to watch, too. I have a lot of weird memories from that movie. so. But, yeah, that wraps that up. Uh, we should hit up Gremlins. Let us get into the holiday movie that I really feel, having rewatched it now, stands more as a test to 1980 sensibilities and comedy than horror. Known as Gremlins. Yeah. Uh, was this Joe Dante's like only good film? Uh, you know, let's uh, let us check. I I feel like he did not have a very good career beyond. Um. Okay. We had um, the Howling. Oh, I did like the howling. My bad. Uh, Actually, I like small soldiers. <laughs> inner space, yeah, small soldiers. Amazing stories, explorers. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he had decent movies in that period of time, but that was probably his biggest release he ever did. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to go back. Like I, I last saw Gremlins, I want to say two or three Octobers ago, uh, and I had a great time. But I was watching it with friends, 
and as you know, watching a movie with friends versus sitting down watching it by yourself, isolated, are two very different experiences. Um, still, it, it it's funny. It's funny as hell, and uh, I don't I don't know. Like I I felt like well, Miss Deagle or whatever, like just straight up wanted to kill the dog. I'm like, Jesus, I don't even know if like they would ever make a character like that in movies nowadays. Oh, no. I mean, there's a lot of characters in this movie that wouldn't exist now. Like Murray Futterman, <laughs> like straight up racist. <laughs> racist. He, he wants to just like go drive home. Like, I'm like, are they going to let him drive, drive that tanked? And eventually they, they didn't, but I was like, maybe they are going to. I, <laughs> I was thinking that too. I'm like, like wow, is, are they going to be endorsing like drunk driving in this? Dick Miller's, I I, I really love Dick Miller, and he, he was great for that role. I, I don't know, uh, <laughs> but all right, let's let's talk about the the reasonable questions that uh, like my first two questions on the blog was about like I guess it was kind of nitpicking, but it was practicality. I, I I think the eating thing actually bothers me more. Like, can't feed it after midnight. Could they not have just thrown in some line about like, hey, feed it after eight a.m. Or, or like, there was no guideline other than don't feed it after midnight. Do, do you feel? Well, I mean, it looks like they obviously came from China. So is it after midnight in China that you can't eat? Is it after midnight wherever the gremlin is that it can't eat? I mean, that's that's the part of me now that is like questions things that people say in movies compared to like when I was six when this or excuse me five when this came out and I was like oh, I want a Mogwai you know kind of shit right and it does suck because you start asking questions as you get older and and you pick through weird things but yeah that that really does I, I really wish they could have just had one line it would have it would have solved so much and and the whole idea of, all right, you can't get it wet, so can it drink anything? anything? And my question, yeah, like, what do they drink? Because you see Gizmo eat, you never see him drink anything, not soda, not milk, not water. I mean, like, if he got if he was drinking water and he got it on his lip, would he start growing gremlins out of his back? And technically, he has to have something going coursing through his veins or whatever which you would assume is liquid based on what we've seen out of the gremlins like i mean they go into like a green green blood slime shit whatever so ah uh, i don't know it it's it's one of those things that you can't spend too much time thinking about or else it may drive you fucking nuts but as i was watching i just i couldn't help but think about these these things i, I guess um, looking through the other questions. Uh, <laughs> so you for for Randall, which is Billy's father. He he was the inventor, and he, you you said that his automatic hammer was your favorite uh, invention. Would that work in any reasonable way, though? I think it was the fact that it was the only one that didn't actually like break down and destroy something. I mean, I guess you could, like, if you were lazy or physically weak and you just wanted to hold something that probably weighed like six times as much as a hammer and just pull the trigger, uh, I guess, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I, I I liked that. It like his inventions kind of felt I don't know like some you'd see from like Spielberg. I, I guess like I would have expected stuff like that in a Spielberg movie. Uh. But yeah, some of the stuff was interesting. The smokeless ashtray still makes me laugh. I, I still think that's a very funny concept. So, uh, looking through. Uh, now, did you? What was the last time you watched Gremlins two? Um, it's been fucking years. Like I hadn't seen either of them in a long time. I remember, I remember seeing Gremlins on like HBO after it came out. I saw Gremlins two in the theater when that came out originally. So, I I'm pretty sure I saw both of them in the theater. I know I definitely saw the first one. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw the second one. I've forgotten that fucking like Hulk Hogan was in the second one. Just <laughs> did you watch that Key and Peele skit that the that what's his name linked? No, and I kept thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, and I would have it in a tab, and then I just didn't make time to watch it yet. I'm an asshole. Did you? Yeah, well, I watched it when, when Keen Peel was on it. It really is. like They're like, Let, what can we put in Gremlins 2? <laughs> you get to design a Gremlin, and you get to design a Gremlin. I don't care what you say, it's gonna fucking be in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that basically does sum up a lot of Gremlins 2. Uh, they're, uh, they they did a lot of uh, interesting things in that. Uh, let, let's have a little fun here at uh, Kate's expense. The whole, like, I don't even know if her character was needed at all. I don't know what oh. she added. She, all right, so she was actually smarter than Billy in just about every way. Um, I think she, you know, she, they needed to, this, this movie in some ways is so fucking cliche and so eighties. It's not even funny, but yeah, she, they needed to have a love interest, but let, oh, let's make her deep. Let's give her the story about why she hates Christmas, but we won't tell you it until like 15 minutes from the end of the movie. And then it won't make any difference. It, it was very inconsequential by the time that you have that revelation. Um, you're right. She, she was way smarter than Billy. How how the hell did Billy make it into the bank with his dog? Like and nobody, yeah, nobody noticed. Yeah, like the dog made no noise. Nobody noticed. Like I, I just sat there. I was like, only in the eighties would this have really, uh, would this have been a thing in a movie? I feel. Uh, it's just uh, I don't know. It felt very I weird. Mean, yeah, if it was nowadays, all he would have had to do is put like a you know service dog stick around the dog, and he would have been fine. <laughs> He's my emotional support throughout the day. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to ask the question, but God damn it. I think... I don't know why the baseball bat... The whole American-made baseball bat thing made me laugh, but... God damn it. Wasn't that fucking hilarious, or am I just being ridiculous here? No, it was... Um, it was, <laughs> I was like... I was like... I'm looking at it too, and you see the wood chipping, so you know that it's not like an aluminum bat. And it's just, you know, there's, oh, we're not going to go through. I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of stuff. Like, I look at, like, who made this movie. I mean, you, you had Joe Dante as the director, you had 
And he's done some other stuff. Not necessarily great stuff, but other stuff that worked. It, written by Chris Columbus, who has written, you know, some of the multi-billion dollar fucking movies. Um, directed by Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, music by Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, it, you look at, like, everybody who made this movie, and then you look at what the uh, result was, and you're like, God, how the fuck did that happen? It, it's such a weird... Weird grouping, but you can see like everybody's touches though to it too. I mean, you can see the Spielberg stuff. You, Jerry Goldsmith, you see. Uh, there's well, you hear, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's there's just a lot of things. Uh, I forgot how much of a complete and utter bitch Mrs. Deagle was. Uh, she was. One of the worst human beings in a film it, I, I'd seen. You know, in my memory, she was more along the lines of the dude from, um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life, where she was crotchety and whatnot, but she was, but yeah, literally, she's fucking talking about murdering a dog, fucking, I'm gonna destroy your family so you lose your house. Like, what the fuck? This woman is a fucking bitch. It, she just, like, cut in front of everybody in, in the line, and, like, everybody was just like, okay, I. She was a hardcore villain that uh, you, you would never see in a kid-friendly movie. Like, yes, there was a character who threatened to kill the main character's dog in a kid-friendly movie. That's kind of weird, right? Now, here's my question to you. You know, we talk about Phoebe Cates being kind of, like, wasted in her part. What about Judge Reinhold? Like, he could have fucking been cut from the movie and it would have been the exact same fucking movie. Oh, I agree. It, I like Judge Reinhold, and I, when I saw him first appear, I'm like, okay, maybe they're going. I, you know, my memory sucks, so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, maybe he plays more of a role later, and it just never happens. And he's he's like a dick at the beginning. He's a dick in the middle, and then he just disappears. So there's never like a denouement when you know, like Billy gets to save him from the Gremlins or whatever, and show that he's like a better person than this guy is. He just never comes back. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, there's no redemption arc or, or anything. Like, I, I, I fully expect him to be involved in some capacity in the, in the end, and it just, uh, no. it Just a waste. Absolute waste. Uh, fun to see Corey Feldman, though. Uh, even though, I mean, he didn't really play, I mean, he played a role as far as getting Gizmo wet. It probably had, the sad thing is, too, he probably had, like, the fourth biggest part in the movie. Yeah. Alright, so I think it, I think you and I agreed on, on this particular thing as far as the mom. The mom is completely underrated, right? Dude, like, I was re-watching this, and I hadn't, rem- didn't remember, I mean, I remembered some of it, like, I remember the gremlin getting exploded in the microwave, but... The mom is the fucking badass of this movie. She fucking <laughs> takes out more individual gremlins than anybody else. I mean, it, and she does it, like, without knowing that this shit is coming and, you know, like, doesn't get injured like Billy does. Well, she gets scratched on her face, but she fucking wrecks house. Like, I was fucking impressed. I was like, I wish she was my mom. Well, sorry, mom. I didn't really mean that mom, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, she was, like a great 80s movie mom that kind of, I don't know, just, she really surprised me. I forgot how badass she was. Uh, did, I don't know. 
am I the only one person that thought that uh, the the role of Randall probably was written for like John Candy or something? Uh, no, I don't think you were the only one who thought that. Um, it it just seems weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was a really weird character. Would expect him to be like. I don't know. There were like, he was tender in parts, but he was like, a complete salesman in parts. But he believed in his shit. Yeah, you know, it was just. I don't. I don't think you could write a kind of character like that today. He would either. Tend towards like one or another cliche. Sure. Uh, I I don't know. I as traveling salesman, I just I sat there. I was like, John Candy would have been perfect for this role. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I wonder if. They originally had him in mind and just couldn't squeeze him in. Because it's not like he had a huge... He wasn't on screen a ton. He didn't have a ton of screen time. So it seems feasible that they definitely thought of John Candy at the time and maybe he just had other commitments or whatever. I don't know. It definitely felt like a John Candy role to me, though. Uh, Yeah... It's uh, you know, I, I asked at the end about whether it's a comedy or a horror, and I went into it thinking that it was going to be about fifty-fifty, but I walked away saying no, definitely comedy. Everybody agreed comedy. Yeah, this was definitely one of those movies that I hadn't seen in a long time, and upon rewatching it, I had to revise, you know, readjust what I remembered from it. Yeah. Uh, you know. Memories from the 80s uh, sometimes just do not always hold up too well. But I, I like this for, um, you know, for, for a December horror movie blog thing. I, I think Gremlins was, like, a, a really good choice. I was, I was happy that it did get voted in. Uh, I would have liked to have seen a little more participation, but I like that it got voted. I, I think it was the best choice of everything. Uh, it's it's one of the first times that we've done a movie that you could actually watch with your entire family, you know, especially during the holidays and not have to worry about somebody you know, getting disturbed or getting upset or you know, not appreciating the subject matter. Do you think Gremlins it seems to me like something that would get remade, but it almost seems I don't know if they do you think they'll remake it eventually, or no? I don't know if the market would be there. I mean, I think a lot of the reason that Gremlins was so popular back in the day was because they threw the uh, you know the toys fucking shut off. And I don't remember if they were cartoons or not, but I mean, I remember you know for a while Mogwai were everywhere and the Gremlins were everywhere. You could buy the little action figures and shit. Um, but can I mean? There's no more Toys R Us. You know, where are you going to market this kind of shit? Yeah, no more Toys R Uses. That's still devastating in in some capacity. Like, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, for for me as a kid, like going into Toys R Us was like this huge fucking store of wonderment. It, you know, like it really made you feel like a fucking kid and it was like one of the greatest places on earth it felt like and now i'm like what the fuck do what what would be the equivalent for a, a child nowadays uh, can correct me if i'm wrong but the only toys r us we had by us when we were growing up was in albany wasn't it 
Uh, that is correct. I believe there or might colony been, somewhere, you know, like somewhere around there. I, I feel like there might have been one up in Glens Falls as well. But so I mean, to me, my parents were never like, "Hey, let's go take an hour and fifteen minute drive so we can get you a fucking toy." It was more like, "Oh, you want a toy? All right." If they don't have it, at fucking Zares or Zales or whatever it was in Glover's. Zares and the names, yep, or or Nichols. Then we're gonna go to KB in Rotterdam. So KB closing had a much bigger effect on me than Toys R Us, but yeah, like, where the fuck are you gonna take a kid to go buy them? I mean, obviously they're stores that have little shit in them, you know, like go to the toy aisle at Walmart, but nothing with that sheer sense of, like, this is a store entirely dedicated to trying to sell you things. Yeah. I I liked KB, too. It was just every KB seemed to have, like, four or five really long aisles, and they felt a little compacted uh, from what I can recall, but I, I liked them. Uh, Made it easy because you knew which aisle, you know, the one aisle that I'm going to with all the action figures that I'm looking for, and then the one aisle with all the video games that I'm looking for. Yep, yep. And I also got into, like, collecting sports cards for a while, so that, that was also a thing. But, yeah, I, I I loved that stuff, and God damn it, it just... It, I don't know. It's weird. I'd like to actually know... Like, in 20 years, I'd like to talk to somebody and be like, so when you were a kid, what gave you this exact feeling? And I don't even know if they could possibly explain it. It's one of those things you almost have to experience. All right, Going guys. to Amazon on my iPhone? <laughs> right, like, I went on my Kindle with my mom, and I showed her everything I want. I had to my wish list. Okay, but you weren't, you didn't, like, see it, like, in person? No. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Seeing it in person was like a huge part of the fun, I, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, so, do you have any other thoughts on Gremlins? I think that this is a movie that, again, it it could be remade, but I don't think it ever will be because, like I said, I don't think that this additional marketplace would be there. And, uh, I just, I mean, I don't really see, like, a big kind of, like, market for that divide-straddling comedy and horror. Like, when when they come out, they do reasonable, like, look at, like, what we do in the shadows. But, again, you know, they're, they're, they almost used to be, you know, more regular takes on this, and we don't see that kind of stuff going on anymore. People either want their comedies or their horrors. I mean, I think even, like, that Tyler, Tyler Perry... Uh, Medea boo do pretty well, but I think that one what was it like Meet the Blacks did did like abysmal in the box office. Did terrible, yeah. I I don't think Gremlins gets I almost feel like if it was gonna get remade, it's missed missed uh it's it's mark because you'd want it within the past like I don't know, five to ten years when our generation became parents and would want to show our kids something, you know, like that, that's usually the cycle of a remake is that, you know, they, they make it so that, you know, the kids that grew up now show it to their kids. You know, that was possibly the idea behind Ghostbusters, possibly. Uh, and it failed and I'm still bitter about it, but I think that was the idea that that's usually the idea behind remakes is, 
to target that that generational gap and i i don't really know if there's a point in it yeah at this point uh fucking what 30 30 what 35 years 35 years yeah I, yeah i don't i don't necessarily know if it doesn't happen within the next five years i don't think it's just i don't think it's ever gonna happen there's no the, the connection would be kind of lost i, I guess is my point so I mean, look at it like this. How many f- things that Spielberg has ever been involved in have been remade? That's a really good question. Huh. I don't know. Is, maybe is there maybe any? zero. I mean, I can't think of any. I he, he was part of a remake, I believe, but as far as his work getting remade, I don't think so. Hmm. Also... While, while I'm thinking about it, Zach Galligan, who played uh, Billy, was in Waxwork 1 and 2, and I really liked those movies. I'm, I'm guessing you've probably seen them, right? Waxwork I liked a lot, and I think it worked well as a horror movie. Waxwork 2 was almost more like this, where it was like a, a stride the whole comedy horror line, you know, like literally sitting right astride it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh I liked both of them. They were they were both entertaining, but obviously Waxwork Two was not uh, wasn't much of a horror in my opinion. But it was still fun. And then I don't think the world ever heard from Zach Galligan again. No, he pretty much disappeared. And um, yeah, I had much. I gotta say, I had much higher remembrance of his performance than like watching it actually left me with. I was like, eh. yeah, as a kid, he was. E- you were easily impressed, very easily impressionable, and now as an adult, it's like, hmm, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I I could say the same though for Phoebe, Phoebe Cates. I, I really, I, I thought she had a bigger role. I really did, and she she didn't. But that's all right. Uh, all right. So this would be the time where I'm going to announce what we're doing for the next, uh, our next podcast or next blogs and all that shit. Um, for theme, we're going to try to spark some interest uh, in a very popular subject called 80 slashers. Uh, I mean, it, it really was the true heyday of slashers. I mean, there was great ones in the 70s, but really, there, there's no decade better than, than the 80s for slashers. I, I don't I don't think anybody would argue that. So we're, that's going to be our next subject for the next podcast in late February, early March. Um, and we're also doing two films uh, coming up. We're doing uh, Quiet Place, and we're doing Bird Box. I don't know what to expect from Bird Box. Uh, I haven't seen much hype. I know it's been hyped to hell, but I stay away from pretty much anything. So I'm kind of oblivious. H- have you been taken in by by the Bird Box hype yet? Uh, I almost watched it the other day, but I just uh, found something else to do. Uh, I really am against the people who are driving with their hoods up on their car. I think that's fucking retarded but maybe that's just me. 
I, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. The Bird Box Challenge, where you drive around without looking so you can't see the things from Bird Box. Fake things that don't exist from Bird Box. Hey, we have gotten really, like, we, we've... We've just gotten dumber as a society, right? Like when when I hear things like this, it doesn't surprise me that people eat Tide Pods. Right, like Tide Pod chat. Like, I, is is it me or when when I hear blank challenge, I immediately think fucking millennials. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm the crotchety old guy at this point, but really, like. That's that's how you know you would die in a horror movie and you would live through a war movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, that, that that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, do you have any other thoughts before we wrap this up? Since we've hit our right around our two-hour mark, I would say so. Nope. It was swell talking to you again. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a good first episode. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll have a lot of fun this year. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to doing some fun things this year. Uh, but, anyways, uh, that's all I got. Me too. So this is Kent and Chris saying good night, everybody, and uh, hopefully you can make your way out. <laughs>